Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on this Friday edition of the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the show a part of your day. A bunch of stuff to get to. At the end of the show, I'm going to play some post-practice audio from both of your quarterbacks, Matt Crowell and John Rice Plumley. And usually I'm not going to play some practice stuff. It's, It's really generic most of the time, especially from coaches. They don't give you a whole lot. It's a whole lot of coach speak. You guys know the drill. They don't really reveal a whole lot. I think especially Matt Corral uh, in this post-practice Zoom press conference told you a lot. And so did John Rice Plumley. He's very buttoned up, but there wasn't as much introspection as you got from Matt Corral. They're different guys, and Plumley ended the season as a starter. I mean, Corral was asked about transferring. And he gave a very honest response about transferring and last year's system and uh, some self-reflection about why last year didn't go well, things like that. It's very insightful from both of your quarterbacks. I'm going to play that uh, towards the end of the podcast. Uh, I think it's worth your time. I really do. Not going to play a whole lot of practice audio for you on this podcast. You just don't get a whole lot, like I said. Not the case with these two kids. Uh, So I'm going to play that audio for you at the end. Also, ESPN's FPI, they did a season projection for everybody in the SEC, including percent chance to win every game on the revised schedule. So I'll look at Ole Miss's schedule, their projected record, their percent chances to to win every game on the schedule, and then a look at the rest of the SEC as well. And I'm going to start with uh, Tate Reeves' executive order, but first I do want to remind you that the podcast is brought to you every day by LB's in Oxford. And on that note, uh, I'll get to the rest of the read here in a second. Um, Tate Reeves's uh, press conference yesterday, his executive order. I'll just read what he said on Twitter. It's the same thing. He said, today I'm signing an executive order to govern how college football stadiums operate this fall. Some states have opted not to make any effort to play. I believe we have to try. We can't just abandon athletes and culture. He said, first and probably most importantly, seating capacity in the bowl will be limited to a maximum of 25% if schools can ensure a minimum of six feet of social distancing between people who are not from the same household. Masks will be required whenever you're walking around, entering or exiting, basically at all times, unless you're sitting in your seat away from everybody else and he still encourages you to have it on while you're in your seat. He says, I know this will not be popular, but there will be no game day social gatherings around stadiums, no rallies, no parties, no tailgates. It's no fun, but it's what allows the athletes to play. I'd still rather be in the SEC with no tailgates than the Pac-12 or Big Ten with no football. Nice little uh, zinger there, Governor. He said there are lots of other measures like elevator limits, suite rules, entry and exit guidances, and stuff like that that we've worked on directly with schools. And Keith Carter told us on the radio show yesterday uh, that that is true, that they have worked very closely with local government uh, to work on their game day plan. And he said they provided a lot of valuable insight. 
Tate Reeves concluded with saying, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We have to make sacrifices that are painful. We also have to try to prevent a safe environment for life as we know in some capacity. Or life as we know it in some capacity. There are many people whose lives are changed because of sports. They'd never get an education otherwise. We have to balance everything. Narratives are comforting and balance is hard. Sometimes the hard thing is the right thing. The best path forward is to try to protect both lives and livelihoods. Please stay in the fight, Mississippi. We can beat this thing. I would also encourage you uh, to not read the mentions of uh, most anything on Twitter ever, but especially that string of tweets. And and I'm going to start with this. I I said this on Twitter yesterday, if you follow me there, at Michael Borky. Now is a more important time than ever to patronize the businesses in your college town. So since you're all Ole Miss fans, Oxford, um, buy a gift card. Order online if they have that capability and patronize if you can. Because local businesses in Oxford, now with this executive order, are going to be absolutely devastated. They already have been over the last few months. You had an inkling that they were going to really struggle this fall anyway. But now you know for sure that there will only really be around 20,000 people in Oxford on game day as opposed to the over 100,000 people that would usually go to Oxford on game day because they had tickets to the game where they had the Grove where they could hang out. That no longer exists in places like LB's, uh, small businesses that rely on students being there, and who knows if that's going to last the entire semester, but rely on sports. So go to LB's and see Greg and tell him we sent you. Uh, Go to, if you can, uh, your local bars and restaurants in Oxford and still practice your social distancing. Buy gift cards if they offer it. Buy online from your local boutiques. Oxford, because of this executive order, is going to be absolutely devastated. Um, I understand why the governor is making this executive order. I certainly get it. I know that he has spent more time, and Ole Miss has spent more time preparing for this exact scenario and considering all the options than I have. Um, So I, I get it. I understand why it's happening. But that doesn't make it suck any less. And for Oxford, this really sucks. So make it a point this year that even though a lot of you... um won't be able to go to games. A lot of you won't get to tailgate in the Grove, which is just, I mean, a focal point of game day at Ole Miss. I mean, that is such a draw, a national draw. I mean, that's the only thing I knew about Ole Miss before I I looked into going to school there because a friend's brother told us that we should. Um I knew about the Grove and the pictures, and it looked awesome. But tailgating is a a focal point of the college football experience. And at a place like Ole Miss where it's, I mean, above and beyond, it's the mecca of tailgating. People travel from all over just to go to an Ole Miss game to see what the Grove is like. It's a huge deal. And and a lot of you um, wouldn't go to games without it in some cases. But, uh, I mean... Your falls are are tied so closely to spending your Saturdays at that place, and it's gone, and that that sucks. It's awful. But now especially think of uh, your your people in Oxford. Your 
local business owners, your small business owners in town, uh, they need our support, uh, especially this fall if, if this continues. I thought about this yesterday on the radio show. Maybe there's some kind of silver lining with the fact that there is no tailgating. And I know there are tailgating companies. I think I have used four of them so far in my life, and they've all been great. And, and they're, they're hardworking people, and their business has basically been taken away, and that sucks. It's awful. But maybe there's some kind of silver lining that the 15 or so thousand people that uh, will be able to go into the game since they can't tailgate in the Grove. They'll like kind of be forced to, you know, pregame at the bars in town. I don't know. Uh, that's probably overthinking it. But um, th- this is really devastating. We probably all knew this was coming, but it doesn't make it any less hard, uh, especially for the people in town. So be thinking about them, and uh, if you're so inclined, patronize them if you can, because they're going to need. They're going to need us in order to survive this fall with this new executive order from the governor, uh, limiting capacity and ending tailgating and all that good stuff. All right, so off the soapbox a little bit, going to turn the page to the ESPN FPI. It'll probably be the title of the podcast today. Uh, They do projections, and it's a a formula. It's an algorithm that they've put together, and one that's actually pretty accurate. Uh, I know people don't like math coming into sports sometimes, you know, over uh, overly analytical people sometimes rub me the wrong way even w- when you're talking about sports. It's stats, uh, um, uh, an old friend of mine says that, that stats are like a bikini. They show you a lot, but not everything. Um, maybe that's inappropriate for the podcast. I don't know. But it, numbers only tell you so much. And so sometimes people rely on stuff like this too heavily. However, the FBI has been pretty good at, at predicting games and outcomes and season records and stuff like that. So the football power index from the ESPN, here's where they come up with it. They say each team's FPI rating is composed of a predicted offensive, defensive, and special teams component. These ratings represent the number of points each unit is expected to contribute to the team's net scoring margin on a neutral field against an average FBS opponent. It is meant to be a predictive measure and its projected results are based on 10,000 simulations of the rest of the season using FPI, past results and remaining schedule, and it changes weekly during the season. The preseason FBI, FPI is determined by four factors. Team performance over the past four seasons with the greatest emphasis on the previous season. Returning starters at quarterback and on offense and defense overall. Whether a team has a returning head coach and recruiting rankings over the last four years. Here's what the FPI has projected for Ole Miss. They say that Ole Miss is going to go 4-6 and six this season. And going back to Wednesday's podcast, that is uh, about kind of where I think the expectation for this team should be. I know it's a losing season. I know people don't like losing seasons. I know people don't want to accept them, but I think this is a unique case. And... If Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss go four and six while looking competitive in most of those six losses, that would be a step forward from or in the transition from Matt Luke to Lane Kiffin. That would be a step forward. If they are able to win four games, that means they beat two teams besides Vanderbilt and Arkansas on the schedule. And that would also have to include them being competitive. If it's a four and six and they go and they get smoked by Florida and lose pretty big at Kentucky and Alabama beats them by half a hundred and LSU beats them by half a hundred, well, then you got a problem. 
But if it's a 4-6 and six, the way the FBI is projecting, of course, assuming the season plays as scheduled, um, and they're competitive in their losses, I think you as a fan should accept that and be okay with that and understand the context of the season. If they were able to get four wins in a 10-game SEC schedule in year one with the pandemic not letting them have a spring or a summer, I think you you should be perfectly fine with that result. That's just my opinion. But here, let's go down. Each game, they put a percent chance that Ole Miss is going to win said game next to it. Florida, the season opener, they say Ole Miss is a 24% chance to win the game. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Tell me if I'm crazy when I say this. I think the season opener is the most ripe for an unexpected upset. Because of the craziness of the offseason and what's led up to it. So a lot of people, myself included, expect Florida to be very good. I really like Kyle Trask. I like what he did last year. Like I've said before on this show, what he did, especially in his two losses even, um, are commendable. He should be the first team preseason All-SEC quarterback. Uh, Dan Mullen is obviously a good football coach, as you guys know. He's a good evaluator of talent, and Florida's been recruiting better since he's gotten there. But they still had a crazy offseason, too. I know they're established. It's a little bit different. Kyle Trask played really well last year. Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley had flashes of playing really well, but it was not consistent whatsoever. Ole Miss went through a coaching change. They're installing new systems. Florida has not had to do that. But Florida still had to endure a crazy offseason. They've also had some roster attrition as well, and you've got a handful of guys sitting out of practice at the moment. Things are kind of weird in Gainesville right now. I think that the season opener might be the best opportunity for Ole Miss to get an unexpected upset because of the lack of practice and the lack of continuity. And everything's just going to be weird in week one. The practices have been weird. How teams are adapting to everything that's gone on might be inconsistent across the board. Now, who's to say Florida didn't adapt as well as Ole Miss? I don't know. I'm just... The more I think about the first game for Ole Miss, the more I think that it's possible that they can sneak up and win a game that they are not supposed to because of how weird everything has been. Who's to say Ole Miss didn't handle all this crap better than Florida? I mean, right now, Ole Miss has had one opt-out. Florida's had a bunch of roster attrition and otherwise. Uh, Things are weird in Gainesville. Ole Miss seems to have handled this offseason pretty well all things considered. Florida doesn't know what Ole Miss is going to run. I mean, how do you, if you're Florida, how do you prepare for what Lane Kiffin's going to do when you don't know who the quarterback is going to be? At least in Ole Miss's case, they kind of know what they're going to see. Florida has no idea. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's a, an idea that I'm fleshing out in my head, but if you're talking about upsets, I think there's a better chance, and so does the FPI for what it's worth, but I think there's a better chance for Ole Miss to sneak up and beat Florida in the season opener, then find a way to sneak up and beat Texas A&M later in the season. Just because of all the weirdness that's gone on, it's going to be so hard to project how these teams are going to look. Now there's a real chance that Florida handled this much better and they smoke Ole Miss in the season opener. I'm not saying that that's not possible too, but when you look at the FPI and they say Ole Miss has a 24% chance to win the game, I think it's a fine number. It makes sense, but... 
I keep thinking that maybe this crazy offseason has leveled the playing field for the season opener for some of these teams. I don't know. We'll see. Kentucky, uh, week two for Ole Miss, uh, 37% chance to win the game. I think they're going to be uh, at least a touchdown underdog in that game. I tell you, a toss-up, people think that's a toss-up, and and it might be. I I think Ole Miss's offensive personnel is better than Kentucky's offensive personnel, but it's going to be a tough game against a good program on the road the week after you have to play Florida. So, um, the FBI says Ole Miss has a 37% chance to beat Kentucky. Alabama, um, if you can believe it, is not the lowest percentage chance on the schedule at 8.4%. The FBI projects Arkansas will be Ole Miss's first win, so they will start 0-3, according to the FBI, when they beat Arkansas in Week 4. They have a 58% chance to win that game, according to the FBI. In fact, the FBI says that Arkansas is going to win two games. I don't know where that's coming from. But the metrics don't hate Arkansas as much as we hate Arkansas. They gave Ole Miss a one-fifth chance to beat Auburn. That's a 20.3% opportunity. Win number two, according to them, is going to come against Vanderbilt. That's a 76% chance to win the game. And the FBI thinks they're going to get back-to-back wins. South Carolina, 63% chance to to beat the Gamecocks when they returned to Oxford after they were just here a couple of years ago. So that's interesting. Um, More likely to beat South Carolina than Kentucky. That makes all the sense in the world. South Carolina did just lose their presumed starting running back, who was uh, a former five-star kid, depending on what uh, service you look at. He unfortunately tore his ACL, and he's out for the season. Uh, So uh, an early injury an early devastating injury for one of Ole Miss's opponents and the FPI before that injury came out uh, thought Ole Miss was going to win that game anyway. 17% chance to beat Texas A&M, 77% chance to beat Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving weekend, and then LSU. They give Ole Miss a worse chance to beat LSU than they do Alabama. I think that is absolutely insane, and they need to rework that algorithm a little bit, because I, I don't understand that one at all. I don't get it. I mean, I know LSU is in Baton Rouge and Alabama's at home, but is that really the difference when you look at everything that Alabama has and has returning versus what everything that LSU lost and how basically nobody's returning? I don't know. I don't get that at all. Uh, Ole Miss has a far better chance at beating LSU than they do Alabama. I don't care what these numbers say. For what it's worth, the rest of the SEC and their projected win totals, they think Alabama's going 9-1, Georgia going 8-2, LSU also going 8-2. If that's an over-under, give me the under. Auburn and Florida both 7-3, Texas A&M 6-4, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ole Miss, and South Carolina all at 4-6, Missouri at 3-7, Arkansas and Mississippi State at two and eight, and Vanderbilt at one and nine. It's what I keep trying to tell people around here. The numbers uh, they they don't like Mississippi State at all, and they don't particularly like Ole Miss all that much either. But they really, the metrics do not like Mississippi State. So Mike Leach has got his work cut out for him a little bit uh, in in year one. For what it's worth, here are their projected wins. Uh, Arkansas, they give them a 53% chance to beat Arkansas. 
and a 74% chance to beat Vanderbilt. Missouri, they have, is basically a toss-up, 49.7%. So the only difference between Mississippi State and Ole Miss is really the Egg Bowl. Uh, when you consider the percent chance to win games, they only give them a 3% chance to beat LSU, 8% chance to beat Auburn, 2.3% chance to beat Alabama, and a 3.6% chance to beat Georgia. Mississippi State's schedule is tougher uh, than Ole Miss's for sure, um, and the record and the metrics uh, reflect that, for whatever that's worth to you. All right, let's turn the page once more. Uh, something I saw on Twitter yesterday, and I posted it myself and, and got some interesting reactions. So Lane Kiffin uh, did what coaches do and tweeted some graphics, and yesterday's was the spree, the speed freaks at Ole Miss, the fastest guys on the team as far as top-end speed. So not 40-time, not three-cone drill, uh, unfortunately for DK Metcalf. You know, that's the difference between him being a good and a bad NFL player, right? It's that three-cone drill. No, it wasn't that. It was just top-end speed. And Dennis Jackson on day one of camp was the fastest guy on the team at 22.2 miles per hour. Elijah Moore, uh, just one mile per hour behind him. Jamar Richardson, Jalen Jordan, Jaden Jackson, and then Matt Corral. Ahead by .3, but ahead of John Rice Plumley, And so all I did was I tweeted that graphic and said, people sleep on Matt Corral's athleticism. And I had a few responses, people saying, well, that doesn't mean that, he, you know, I bet Plumley got there faster. And, and of course, I, I wasn't saying that Matt Corral is a better athlete than John Rice Plumley. I don't think he's faster than John Rice Plumley. Plumley's 0-60, to 60, you can see it with your eyes because you have them as faster than Matt Corral's, and he's more elusive. We all have eyes, we've seen it. But the point of of me bringing that up and the point of this graphic is to show you that Matt Corral does not get enough credit for his athleticism, and it was severely underutilized last year. For whatever reason, they drew this line in the sand where Matt Corral was on one side, and that was you throw the football, and John Rice Plumley was on the other side, and it was you run the football, where both of them showed flashes of ability to do the other. Now, I think Plumlee is way far behind Corral in the passing game, has a lot of work to do, and he even mentions in the audio that I'm going to play for you in a little bit, um, lacking footwork and how he needs to work on his footwork, and that was a big, big deal for him last year. It just wasn't there. But that offense, it's just another example of how bizarre that offense was a year ago because you can use Matt Corral in the running game. He is athletic enough to be an effective runner at the quarterback position. No, he is not John Rice Plumley. No, he can't run like Plumley can. I'm not going to try to fool you into thinking that because it's not true. However, he is a sneaky, really good athlete. And you saw it in flashes. He can be an effective running quarterback if given the opportunity. The problem was he wasn't given the opportunity to show it. But people sleep on his athleticism. I think you can use him in the running game more than uh, he has been used or he was used last year. Just another example of why that offense just doesn't make any sense. But people have written him off. And not you, because a lot of you understand the situation. Nationally, people have written him off. Um... I played you that segment with Kiffin uh, at SEC Now after 
Kiffin just got done telling Dari Noka that it's a competition, that John Rice Plumlee, he's not, we're not starting him yet. There's Matt Corral there. It's a quarterback competition. The transition was, well, there's no question about the quarterback in Oxford, but we've got one in Missouri, and they transitioned it to Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz. Like, Lane Kiffin just told you out loud, we haven't decided yet. We're looking at these two guys, Matt Corral's very much in the mix. And then two minutes later, well, there's no quarterback controversy in Oxford, but there is one in Columbia. Like, what the? Did you not just hear him? People are just writing off Matt Corral, and maybe he doesn't win the job, and uh, that would be fine. I'm telling you, I think you've got two quarterbacks that you can win football games with that do different things well. But Corral just gets slept on, and he's got really good arm talent. He's a good athlete. As you can see, his top end speed, I mean, 20.4 miles per hour, that's scooting for a quarterback. Of course he has some things to improve and things to work on. So does Plumlee. But just to write him off, I think it's crazy, but the national media, they've just done it. They've just written him off, and I wouldn't do that. I think he's got a real shot, and they're giving him a real shot. Doesn't mean he's going to win the job, but it, just to say he doesn't have a chance is, is just wrong. Speaking of quarterbacks, I'm going to play this audio for you right now. And we'll start with Matt Corral because simply he just went first. And you'll hear them ask Plumley things that, uh, about things that Corral said. But there's a lot of stuff I want you to listen for here. Uh, one, him talking about transfers. Uh, two, uh-oh, little guy's up. Uh, two, uh, last year's system. And then the third is how he's handled himself this offseason. Really, I mean, honest, refreshingly honest stuff here uh, from your quarterback, Matt Corral. So I'll play Corral first, we'll come back, and then I'll play Plumley, and we'll end the podcast after that. So here he is. Uh, this was earlier in the week with local media on a Zoom call, uh, Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral. We, we really haven't had a chance to talk to you since last season. I was just curious, with Lane Kiffin getting this job, how much did that have to do with you deciding to come back? Because there was talk out there that you may have been considering transferring and things like that. Uh, did Kiffin play a part in you deciding you were going to come back and battle for this job? Uh, I was never going to leave. Um, I mean, Kiffin, Kiffin was a big you know, cherry on top for me personally, but, uh, as far as like transferring, was it ever in my mind? Of course it was in my mind, but you know, I didn't want to have to deal with all that extra stuff and everything that came with that. And like, I, like, I knew what I had in front of me. I know what I could do better. And I'm like, um, I knew what I, where I went wrong last year. I'll follow up on that, Matt. Where where do you think it went wrong last year? You said you, you kind of knew where you made mistakes yeah. or whatever. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, I mean, this year, I I thought I was working hard last year. I thought I was. And, you know, doing what we had to do, what, what was uh, – like we were supposed to do the extra stuff. Whereas the quarterbacks, are supposed, they're supposed to be the last ones to leave. They're supposed to be the first ones. And I think as a unit, we've done a – hell of a job this year by far this is the hardest I've ever worked since since I was trying to earn a scholarship at um what is this competition like 
Is it close? I mean, we've, we've heard uh, Coach Kiffin tell us Monday that, that you and John Rice were a little bit ahead. What What is your view of the competition, and has anyone surprised you in the competition? Um, you know, we're really not – we really try not to keep it, like, going against each other. We really try to uh, focus on ourselves and get better on ourselves and what we need to work on as a group mentally. But, <clears throat> like, personally – it would be like one day, oh, I messed up my, my shirt, my drops. I messed up my pocket movement. And then JR would be the same thing. And uh, it would be finishing the throw. So like those three things and just taking them out to practice and applying it from the meetings to the practice. That's where we're taking the steps forward. And as far as like getting ahead, we're meeting, we're meeting as a unit at 5.30, 5.45 in the morning by ourselves. Like it's just, it just started with us. And then it, it was this ripple effect throughout the whole uh, quarterback room. Then everybody started, do, started doing it. And then it's just a normal thing now. So it's like the little things like that, I think is good is what's going to make the difference. Matt, this is your third offensive coordinator in three years, third scheme in three years. Is there anything different about this scheme that might take advantage of your skills more? Or is it all just kind of terminology is different, but the plays are the same? Uh, definitely different terminology, of course, different. Um, the reason we do things is different, but I think what we could take away from this year is that we understand why we're doing what we're doing as a quarterback. Like we know why we're reading the single side safety. We know why we're reading the C gap. We know why when they go three down, we have to read the C gap. So just having an understanding of why we're doing things and then why they're calling the plays and where the coaches want the ball, I think that's what's that's what's so good about this system, in my opinion. Yeah, Matt, uh, I just want your early impressions on Kenny Yaboa at the tight end spot and also what you're seeing out of, out of the group of wide receivers. Kenny, Kenny's been making a huge jump. He's uh, he's really been uh, been being a leader and taking that whole group with them. And that's like, that's a big thing is getting leaders in each room. And it's just, it doesn't have to be one person. It doesn't have to be the senior. It could be anybody in that room. And I think uh, the older guys have done a good job of, of doing that. And as, as a unit, as a receivers group, I think lately we've been getting, uh, getting the ball rolling. And I think after the OTAs, you got to feel after the OTAs is when we really started putting it together. Yeah, Matt, this is going to sound like a trick question. I don't mean for it to be. Um, some of the national media sort of have already kind of coronated John Rice a little bit. You've been down that road where you started a season as the guy. Does it does that motivate you at all that that people sort of have already just sort of assumed that that it's his job? Um, I don't really pay attention to any of that. You know, I worry about myself when it comes to that kind of stuff. You know, just focus on myself. It's not a competition. I'm competing with myself. Hey, Matt, going back to a question or two ago, you were talking about the, the ease in understanding this offense and knowing why you're making certain reads, doing certain things. Was it difficult to understand why you were doing those things last year? It's not that it was difficult. We just, we just, we weren't taught why, like we weren't taught, we weren't taught in depth of what we are, what we are doing now. Matt, I'm sure you've got a lot of friends back west who were affected by the Pac-12 cancellation. Just kind of what's it been like for you watching what was happening out there and how difficult is you for just dealing with this situation? Yeah, it's been it's been crazy, honestly. This is a crazy time we're living in right now. And uh, 
you know, the West Coast is way different from the East Coast and the South. But, um, you know, I feel for those guys that, that got to wait till the spring and then it's got to roll over back into the fall, I think. I don't know how that's going to work. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy we get to play. And I know that uh, our, our, our team is as well. And we're very excited to get out there. Matt, um, I guess the door has kind of been left open that this could result in being – a two quarterback system, and you guys got a little taste of that last year. Uh, how you how you would feel about that if that's how it worked out? Whatever it takes to win doesn't does not matter. Matt, it kind of seems like you took more of a responsibility on your own shoulders to kind of just try to take that leap, learn the stuff this year. What kind of spawned that? Just kind of realizing that maybe you weren't working as hard as you thought you were. Well. Shoot, I mean, for me personally, it wasn't working. I wasn't, I wasn't successful last year. Why? You know, that, that's what I asked myself. I was asking myself, why? Why wasn't this working? What did I do wrong? And, you know, it all came down with, with my work ethic there. And, then, you know, it takes a lot of sacrifices when you, when you realize you, 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 you got to do what you got to do. But at the end, it's, it's not a sacrifice. It's, a, it's an investment for what you're doing in the future. And I think, as honestly, like the team as a whole has taken a big leap from 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 last year to this year, as far as that goes. Hey, Matt, there have been a lot of uh, images on social media of uh, large gatherings, people without masks, a lot of them college students. Uh, you know, what do you think when you see those? Are you confident that you and your teammates can stay out of situations and stay safe? You know, I, I feel like we're very – I'm very confident in what we're doing here. Um, you know, this, this, uh, all the staff, uh, everybody, the the, um, the doctors, they've all done a great job of, you know, keeping us healthy, making sure we're where we, we are where we need to be and have what we need to have. And uh, as far as just health-wise, just being a step ahead of that. So, you know, very thankful for those guys in the training room, you know, Laying there, doing everything they can for us, and you know you can't you can't stop you know uh, like a teammate just going on a date, just going to dinner. Like it, you, it's it's inevitable, but you know hopefully that person is going to be smart, wear a mask, and you know just stay away. And that was Matt Corral again earlier in the week. Uh, like I, I mean, you guys heard some things there, right? I mean, number one. Uh, of course, the new scheme, everybody likes the new scheme, right? I mean, they're always going to say they like the new scheme better than the old scheme. There's a reason that they have a new one. But um, interesting line in there, number one, that they were taught what to do, but not why to do it. And I found that interesting. Just something that uh, this new staff is apparently doing that the previous one did not do. Is It's not like Rich Rodriguez didn't teach them what to do. They knew what to do. They didn't know why, and that helps in the learning process. Also him saying he was never going to transfer. That them hiring Lane Kiffin sure helps, but that he he considered it. Of course he did, but he wasn't going to. I found that interesting as well. And then the self-reflection of why didn't it go wrong for me? Not blaming Matt Luke, not blaming Rich Rodriguez, not blaming John Rice Plumley, but looking at himself and uh, why didn't it work for me? That's really mature stuff uh, and, and really just uh, just good stuff there from Matt Corral. And you're about to hear some good stuff, too, from John Rice Plumley. 
Uh, so I'm going to play that for you right now. This is the other quarterback in Ole Miss's quarterback competition. It, but like Corral said, they're not treating it, at least in public anyway, like it's a competition to the point where they're uh, waking up at 5 a.m. together and studying film and working out together. So they seem to get along. It seemed like it last year. I mean, on the sidelines and stuff, the way they supported each other, there there never seemed to be, at least publicly, now who knows what's going on behind the scenes, but they never seemed to have had anything other than a good relationship with each other, and uh, Plumlee will uh, touch on that a little bit as well. Uh, so here he is, uh, other Ole Miss quarterback, John Rice Plumley. Hey, John Rice. Matt said you guys have kind of been meeting at like 5.15, 5.30, just something that's been organized just on your own. What are those meetings like? What kind of led you guys to want to do that? Uh, you know, uh, with this new offense, there's a lot um, that's on our plate, you know. And so uh, as quarterbacks, you know, you kind of want to know everybody's role, everybody's job. And so we decided to take it upon ourselves to come in a little bit earlier to, to be able to watch some film, whether it's on uh, defenses or on our scheme that we're running just to know and get a better grasp of the offense that we're that we're running now hey john rice uh, coach kiffin told us monday that he thought you and and matt were a little bit ahead because y'all have played in some games that does it feel like that to you do you feel like you guys are a little ahead in this competition and um who in the competition who has anybody surprised you um i, I would say you know being able to to play in a game or uh, play in an SEC setting, really, um, once you get to something like practice, not saying that practice isn't hard or isn't challenging, but it kind of slows practice down just a little bit for you. Um, uh, I mean, really, everybody's really caught on well to this new offense, this new scheme we're, we're, we're doing. Um, Matt, of course, you know, his ability to throw. Kincaid um, has stepped up big time, you know. Um, Grant, he he's always has a has a really good mind for football, you know. He, he – uh, Always knows the answers when when asked questions. You know, um, when when a defense presents something, Grant always seems to be uh, to be really sharp in that category. And Cade Rimpro, you know, a young guy coming in, um, really learning the, the the system like all of us. Uh, really, really good. I think he's going to be really good in the future for sure. You guys ran the ball like sixty three percent of the time last year, and it was a totally different philosophy. Do you find that you are repping the passing game more right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think everybody's really excited about it, you know, to get a little bit more variety, you know, to the offense. Um, I feel like last year, sometimes we can, we could have, we could be one dimensional, but um, I think this, this uh, upcoming year that we are going to turn some heads for sure. John Rice, you talked a lot last year about wanting to get more consistent and more productive in the passing game. Do you feel like you've gotten better this off season? And if so, what ways? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, coming, uh, with Coach Levy and, and the new staff coming, and one of the, the big things that they wanted to do was um, clean up our footwork as quarterbacks, as a whole unit, you know, and that in itself has helped me a lot, you know, with timing, uh, being on time for routes, being able to see the whole picture a lot better instead of, um, you know, sometimes I use my legs and it can uh, not be as well for me when I need to be, when I need to sit in there. And so um, them cleaning that up a little bit and me learning uh, from them has helped me a whole lot for sure. How have they kind of gotten you to balance just, you know, hanging in there in the pocket to try to make the pass versus, you know, just using your legs and that ability that you have? Um, you know, I think the the ability, my ability is not going anywhere, you know. Uh, so I think they know that I can do that. Um, but it's, it's definitely about working on getting better in different ex- aspects of the game, such as, you know, throwing, seeing the whole picture, seeing the def- defense, knowing your answers when a uh, defense presents you something. And so really a lot of it has done with uh, – 
not really seeing the defense as much, but really knowing our offense uh, to the point where when the defense does present something, I know where our answers are as an offensive whole. So um, I would say that would be the biggest thing that's helping me right now. You know, um, I'm sure at some point I will break away, you know, on a pass play, get outside of the tackles and, and um, use my legs. But uh, it's good to be able to sit in there and throw it around too. Yeah, John Rice, there's uh, been a lot made of the pass rush that was lost on the defensive side. I know it's only been a couple of days, but what have you seen so far from the defense and the ability to get to you guys as quarterbacks? Uh, there, we, we got some really talented guys, you know. Um, Sam, you know, him not being here is is uh, definitely going to hurt us a little bit, but um, uh, guys like Ryder, you know, um, like the the young guys coming in like BMAC, um, Ladarius Cox, PJ, um, just to name some guys. I mean, really, really talented, really, really fast, really, really strong. Is, and that's really what you're looking for at the D-line, you know. So sometimes some plays when we don't execute when, when we need to, they end up in your lap as they should. And so uh, I think it's making everybody better, having those guys coming against us. Has there been a point in the last couple of weeks when you considered maybe thinking about opting out of the season? And if not, just kind of what makes you feel comfortable about playing this year despite all the swirling around? Um, yeah, the thought really never crossed my mind. Um, I've always really wanted to play, and that's really what I want to do. Um, and definitely since coming back to, to campus, <clears throat> excuse me, definitely since coming back to campus, um, it really made me want to play more because um, the precautions that we take and everything that we do makes me um, really confident in our safety that while we're here playing football, you know. Um, as in going to classes, um, doing other things, a lot of our classes are online, which makes me feel even more safe, you know. I don't have to be around – large group of people um, with the potential of, of getting sick. But uh, as for me, I've never, it, it hasn't really crossed my mind since coming here. It maybe made me feel even more confident in playing. John Rice, what have you seen from Ben Brown at center since uh, Eli opted out? That was y'all's one opt out. Ben stepping in there. Um, has it been a pretty seamless transition so far? Uh, he's done a really, really good job. Um, ben, I, I sh- I'm sure, as you all know, is really, really talented physically and mentally, you know, um, to be able to switch positions like that and uh, just pick it up that quick, I think is really, really impressive. Um, he's really done a really good job uh, so far. <clears throat> I think we just got to, when when you switch a center, you got to kind of get used to catching a different ball, you know, catch a different snap. Um, so it's just a matter of getting used to him snapping the ball. But as of upfront blocking and, and picking up things and seeing things, he's he's doing a really, really good job. And what about the wide receivers? I mean, obviously Elijah got his numbers, but, um, there were some guys that were maybe underutilized last year, specifically Jonathan Mingo. So what have you seen from the White House through three days? Um, I think we got weapons on the outside, uh, to, to say the least. That's an understatement. You know, I think we got guys that can go get it and go make plays. Um, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to to getting the ball in their hands this year and uh, watching them work because I think uh, once we get them the ball, that they can be really, really dangerous. Hey, John Rice, you mentioned um, staying safe and things like that. But what do you think when you see these – images on social media of large gatherings and, and people without masks, a lot of them college students. And are, are you confident that you guys as a team can, uh, can make decisions uh, and stay out of things like that? Um, I think, it, I think that we can uh, most definitely. I think because right when we got here, um, you know, we, we are tested pretty frequently now, <clears throat> frequently, I wouldn't say um, as much as going to be in the upcoming season. I think they plan on testing us something like three times a week, but, we, we came uh, every couple of weeks or so we would get tested and a couple of randoms would pop up here and there. But right when we first got here, you could see that there was a larger number of 
guys on the team that got the, the virus and then it significantly went down because I think it kind of opened our eyes to the fact of, oh, this is real. This is a real thing. And we need to, if we want to play this season, then we have to hunker down. And I think we've done a really, really good job as a team uh, of deciding, hey, let's, uh, let's be safe. Let's do this the right way so that we can play a season. Going off that, just can you tell us what test days are like and just does it get easier to be tested this frequently or, or is it always still just kind of a hassle? Um, definitely, uh, not a hassle, you know, to get tested, you want to know if somebody is sick or, or asymptomatic and that has the, that has the virus, you know, but, um, the, the thing that I'm sure you all have seen people get tested or got tested yourself, it, they, they send a very, uh, long stick up your nose and it's, it's uncomfortable, but I mean, um, it's something that we got to do and I think we're going to get used to it. Uh, it doesn't get easier doing it, but, uh, I would definitely not call it a hassle. I think it's very much needed. John Rice, what are your thoughts about playing a 10-game SEC schedule? I mean, you're used to getting a few non-conferences, but now you're getting all league all the time. What's that like for you guys? I'm really excited. And everybody I've talked to on the team is, is really, really excited as well. Um, people like Elijah Moore I've talked to, I said, uh, I said, E, what do you think about it? He said they can't say nothing, which means that when we when we prove ourselves, not that we have to prove ourselves, when we, when we make plays, make really big plays or do really good against these teams, you can't say that, um, these teams aren't talented, you know, uh, because we're going to be playing against really, really talented teams. And um, we're very, very confident going into the season. And again, there's John Rice Plumley, uh, the other Ole Miss quarterback in the competition. And uh, different things from both guys, but really good stuff there as well. Um, you hear a lot of good there, right? I-, I told you a few weeks ago that I think that you can win games with either one. The choice is going to come down to how they want to go about their offense and not who they want to run their offense. This isn't a situation where uh, you've got two kids that do basically the same thing and you have to find out which one does it a little bit better. Very different quarterbacks that will lead them to have to uh, alter their scheme a little bit depending on who they choose or what they want to do will dictate their choice. Either way, uh, I think uh, Ole Miss is in good hands at the quarterback position. A couple of guys that for being young quarterbacks that have dealt with a lot over the last year or so. Um, I love the maturity in both of them, really. I mean, hearing Corral talk about he he didn't worry about what others did wrong. He only wanted to think about, you know, why it didn't go right for him and then Plumlee touching on footwork and things that he needed to get better. And I don't know. I I just think those are two mature kids and – your, your football team's in good hands, uh, whoever they choose. Uh, that is one thing that I'm not particularly worried about when it comes to projecting this football team is quarterback play. I just simply think both of those dudes have, have a ceiling that's extremely high. And now they're being coached by somebody that can, uh, can get that out of them. So that's it for me on this Friday. Thank you so much again for making the podcast a part of your day. Don't forget to go by LB's and see Greg this weekend. Get some meat for the grill and we've got that double hurricane coming up uh coming up in the gulf coast right now they're gonna hit like tuesday morning so get your meats before the hurricane comes at lb's just across from kroger on university avenue tell greg we sent you follow me on twitter at michael borky don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them and i will talk to you again on monday A Super Talk Mississippi media production.